Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. What is going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell live from the PGA Championship here at that page. See, I've been trying to keep him saddled in his chair. I need a seatbelt or something because he is dying. Our boy Raja is dying to go watch Tiger teed off at 824 on the the back. We were listening to it in the car on the way here. You know, we could have gotten here early. Like, we could have done that. No, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> Tiger teed off at 824. He's currently two over par. Had a double bogey on the first hole, so a little bit of a bumpy start. But if there's anything we learned from walking this course, from talking to all the players, it is going to be playing like a U.S. Open. It's going to be playing tough, long, and it's going to give a test for everybody that's out there. Yeah, Danny, I walked yesterday, uh, you know, just following a couple groups on the practice, uh, during the practice rounds, and you know, as a spectator, it was a grueling walk. My hip was hurting. My knee was sore. I got out of the car yesterday on our way home, and I was telling you my feet were aching. Um, yeah, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like for the players having to do that four days in a row the entire course. It is, man. You, you know, you look at some of the guys, and, you know, the guys now are much more athletic. You know, when you look at Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson, and even Tiger really started that trend right. by getting, you know, jacked up and looking so svelte and in shape. And I think that eliminates – Probably 30 or 40 guys that aren't exactly in that great of shape yep. because it's going to take its toll. When you look at their legs start dying towards the back end of the week, I think it's going to be a massive, uh, it's going to be a massive grind for these guys. You know, it was funny. We were talking to Jim Furyk yesterday on the putting green. Right. And I was telling him how I'm playing on Monday and he's like, where are you going to play from? And I was like, I want to play from the tips where you guys from from. And he's like, I'm trying to play from up where you right. guys play from. <laughs> right. So I think it's just kind of the mindset that happens when you're out there. But, uh, when you look at Tiger, I think, he doesn't start traditionally any tournament really fast. I think if he's around one over by the time the day is done, and of course this depends on what else happens sure. out there, but I think one over, even par, is an exceptional day for Tiger, especially being off five weeks. He's still kind of getting his legs back under him. I think that's a good score for him when you consider all things. Well, I think if it if it holds the form, we were listening, they were projecting it, the winner to be in, in single-digit negative figures, right? And Brooks Kepka thought he might be able to go double-digit negatives. If that happens, one over is probably not a good spot to be in. But if it is going to be closer to the seven under, eight under, six under, I think one over isn't bad. If he could figure out a way to scratch it out like with a little scrambling that would be good he's got to control that driver that's the one thing i noticed when i was walking around yesterday everybody who missed i mean everybody who missed that fairway had to chunk out like there was very little uh ability to get up and get in for birdie from from that rough so you've got to be in the fairway i'm going to reevaluate my score so he's two over through five he had the double bogey and then he uh parred the next four holes i'm going to say two over yeah i'm going to say if he can just manage his way around and at barring that first hole just have that be the one hiccup and get around in par from here on out i think he's probably pleased and i think if you go one over or even then it's a big win for him out there on the day uh as we'll keep you updated all throughout the show on tiger's progress he's out there with brooks kepka and francesco molinari kepka comes out and just goes low like birdie on the first hole almost birdies the second hole the dude is playing with so much confidence right now it's unbelievable just and you can almost see it when he walks around. He's out there. He's out confident. And you can see on the range. Like, oh. in, it is a mental thing when you can go out there and just dominate the way he is. I think he's got some of that swag that Tiger used to have, especially considering he's won three out of the past five majors. Yeah, you touched on I, what it. What stood out to me watching him yesterday was just the way he kind of carried himself. Like, I'm better than you. 
You know, they, yeah. he had that air about him. And when he when he hit the range, and we watched a lot of guys on the range hitting balls. His just kind of felt special. I don't know if you felt that way because he looked like it was supposed to be special. But, I mean, he was just striking the ball. Everything was pure. I went and checked him out on a couple of tee shots. He was ripping those. Just, you know, everything seemed effortless and just really, really sure and confident of himself. That's a great spot to be in in any sport as an athlete to just feel like, you know, you're invincible. People, people fear that to some degree. They can feel that you feel that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. As we're talking here, Brooks Kepka just birdied another hole, so he is two under right. uh, through five holes. If you guys can hear me, if our producer Coca, can we get the sound of the other set back in uh, Fort Lauderdale out of my ear? Because I can hear our buddy Casey Kiernan <laughs> right now as we speak, and it's really throwing yeah, me off. Really it's like really, like really flies out of my ear <laughs> trying to get them out of there. Um, there's other guys out there, because I mean, it's not just Brooks Kepka, it's not just Tiger Woods, but I think this is a big tournament for Dustin Johnson. Dustin has had so much success Success. He's been the number one player in the world, but the majors, it's just come up short for whatever reason. I mean, at some point, I think you start saying, all right, is he underachieving with his success? But I mean, there, he's he's still an incredible player. I think it's just a matter of time when it all comes together and he gets another one. Yeah, I mean, you can be snake bit to some degree in the majors. I mean, he's got 20 tour wins, though, right? Like, what stood out, What I mean, that's a it's pretty accomplished resume. What was interesting to me, we talked about, I don't know, this was around Masters time, when you told me how old he was. He's a little older than I thought he was. So while I thought, like, you get over that hurdle, Masters would become something, that, or, or, or majors would become something that you mastered. You figured out how to win him. Um, he's pretty far along in his growth curve in terms of, like, golf. So I maybe he winds up having one of those careers where he's got, I don't know, 30 PGA Tour wins, but he doesn't have a whole lot of Masters. And I think that's still pretty you know, pretty remarkable. You're the number one golfer in the world for, for years. That's pretty cool. So we watched DJ hit some balls yesterday off the range. We watched Kepka, and you and I were just, like, like jaws dropped. I was angry. Of, it was both. It was like in awe, but then there was some jealousy, yeah. and it was like because Brooks was just striping it. DJ's out there just effortlessly just dropping him out there, and Brooks was going into the wind, and he was carrying his driver like 285 into the wind, and it was perfect. But I have a more important question. Our boy Dustin Johnson, he's, brought, he's represented by Adidas. He had some pants on, oh. a little bit on the tighter side. Too tight? <laughs> you, you know I will put on a tight shirt right, right, or yeah. pair of fitted, pants. I'm not, I'm not one afraid thing. of that. Fitted is one thing. Too tight. Too tight. I too think tight. so, too. I yeah, think so, too. too. Tight. Can't like, be comfortable. And he had the cell phone in his pocket. You could almost, like, see everybody. You could see the text messages. Yeah, it was almost, too tight. You could, they, were they were, like, sheer, that. too. Like, yeah, it was, like, yeah, a sheer exactly. gray color. Like, they had a little stretchy yeah. to him. I mean, he can pull them off, cause, but I think you know, just go one size bigger on yeah. that one. I actually had some uh, some new gear I was going to work out this week. I was going to try it out, and it was a little too tight, too. So I'm going to have to go return and go one size there's bigger. A, there's a happy medium <laughs> there between his and then the Adam Scott from the Masters where you go with the old baggy pleated. Yeah. I don't support that either. No, I don't support that look at all. Slim look with just a little bit more space than he was rocking yesterday. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So DJT's off at one sixteen this afternoon. So he'll be in the afternoon You know it was super cool yesterday? And I think, I, I, I don't know what time he hits the course, but Tony Finau, when we had yeah. that little exchange with him there yeah. in the front. No, 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 hold on. Let me, it wasn't a what? little exchange. What? So we're standing there watching uh, Tony Finau over there hanging out by the putting green. Right. And he's like, oh, there's Raja. What's up, Raja? Like, I'm a big fan of <laughs> yours. He recognized you out there. Salt Lake kid, man. Yeah, like, the so Jazz are all they got. But I'm a, I've been a big fan. Like, I told, it's one of those weird things, right? He's like, I'm a fan. I'm like, no, dude, I'm a fan. You know, it was like a weird moment. But I, I think he's got a, with his length, if he can control that driver, he might have a shot out here this I got a nice too. little photo of you guys together. Yeah. But uh, Coco wants to know how come we couldn't get him on the show. Like, you couldn't get him to come he's on as busy, a guest today? Bro. He's yeah, he busy. might be on the range right I'm now. We're just developing a friendship, bro. I'm not trying to like, overstep my bounds this early. So I think it's interesting because some guys are flying under the radar this week. I think Justin Rose is one. He's number two in the world. DJ's number one. I think he's got an opportunity. I mean, he's actually my pick right. to win the tournament. But Rory, Rory McElroy, 
Roy has been playing so well. Uh, I think he's a guy that you have to watch out for this week. Uh, and then you got Phil. Like, Phil's always in there. They tee off at 138. That's going to be an interesting group. Like, we might have to go out and watch this, yeah, this absolutely. afternoon at 138 as they tee off. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we talked about Justin. Justin just feels like – so Rory feels to me like he's – it's like hot or cold sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, and as hot as as hot as anybody out there, it's cold. You know, it's is what it is. It's cold. But Justin Rose is just straight down the middle. It's it seems relatively effortless in terms of uh, of what he's doing out there. And there's not a whole lot of variance. Uh, I'm sure there is. He has bad days like anybody else, but it just doesn't feel like that. So he's a really good name. I th- I had kind of slept on him, but that's a great name. Justin Rose. We were walking in the players' parking lot the other day, and his caddy was carrying him some shoes, some fresh Nikes. He was not playing with you, by the way. No, no, he was not. He was. Did I look that desperate when I, I was asking? Because I was. I asked what size, and then I saw on the box they were only ten and a half, so they won't fit me. So I was kind of just playing with him. But then Justin Rose even looked over and he's like, hey, who's this dude? Don't be messing with my shoes. I think what happened was he was getting pestered by a couple of dudes. Remember? Yes. That, and they were walking with him. He had tried to end the conversation. They lingered. So then when you stepped up with the ha-ha funny type of thing, yeah. they were not playing with they you. They were yeah. not playing around at all. We saw Phil out here. He was playing in shorts. He was rocking those calves yeah. that are kind of out of like everybody knows about. Him. Now they're a thing. Everybody's like talking about him. Like if, you got, if you got him, why not? I will say, when you watch Phil interact – He's even though he's one of the best players, he interacts as much as anybody. I would say yeah. the most of anybody going over, giving high fives, smiling with the crowd, yep. interacting with people. I think that's why you can see he's such a fan favorite. If you just watch him for five minutes, he's interacting with people all over the place, left he, and right. Yeah, you know, I, you don't get to see that when you don't come to an event, and but when you do, you're like that. That explains it. Explains why everybody's got this fascination with Phil. If that's who he is, wherever he goes, um, it's easy to root and cheer for a guy like that. And I, admittedly. You know, again, when I was younger, I felt like I had to choose between Phil and Tiger. The more I've got to know Phil's personality, um, you know, even even that, you know, the, the match that I didn't really love, I thought it was kind of corny, but you got a little insight into who Phil was. You see him out here, it becomes a lot easier to root for. Yeah, absolutely it does. And I noticed that Phil was definitely chewing the gum that they had from the Masters. I would be shocked if Tiger is not chewing the same gum because he won in the Masters uh, when he was doing it. It was really weird, too, because I'm telling you, no one has ever chewed gum on the golf course before. And now, all of a sudden, Tiger and Phil are doing it. I would even take a hunch. There's going to be a lot more guys really? chewing the gum. I think so. It's got to be a thing. I, there's, look, a lot of, there's a lot of conversation, chatter on the driving range, behind, you know, when everybody's just kind of talking, not on air. But, like, what is the gum? What's in the gum? Is it medicated right. in some way? Does it have some sort of performance-enhancing drug? It, it, otherwise, they're not chewing it. Danny, right? Exactly. It's got to have some kind of... And Phil gave like this really, like there's an article, I think the New York Times did, and it was from like a couple months ago, and he was like, well, when you use your jaws, it fires off the frontal cortex of your brain, allows you to so, you know, focus so much right. more. Okay. The hunch that's out here, the, the speculations out there is that it's CBD, mm-hmm. which... Is legal. Bubba Watson just did a major endorsement door with CBD oil uh, that he was on the floor of the stock exchange announcing that partnership. So if it is, I don't know why they're being so secretive about it. Just come clean with it because it is something that's legal now. It's, you know, it's widely accepted. And if it's especially the older guys, that's where I think it makes a lot of sense where they, you know, they get out there and they, they need a little, you know, to have their bones feel better. Yeah. It kind of helps a little bit. A little juice. So be it. Yeah, a little absolutely. Juice. Yeah. By the way, Tiger just had a birdie. Okay. So he's back to one over par. I'm out. 15th hole. Yeah, right. I don't know though. He's getting hot. So I'm sitting <laughs> Stay here, right? Yapping about it. Um, I think the greens are going to be a ton of – it's going to be really interesting because we talked a lot about the driver. The greens roll, uh, they're, they're slanted from back to front. So you want to be below the hole yeah. the majority of the day because it's – this is a test. It's where you're going to find out, all right, where does the ball land on the green? You want to be below the hole so you have uphole putts throughout the day. So that's going to be obviously a big part uh, of the tournament as we go out there today. What else we got? Anything else you noticed from yesterday when you were out walking the course? I noticed 
So I'm, we don't have a full head-to-toe shot here, but I like to, you know, rock some clean shoes. Yeah. I got my Jordans on. I got some off-whites. I'm a little nervous today. Brave it, soul. It's muddy in a lot of spots. Now, in the fairway, you're good. Yep. But we walked out the 18 and, like, 18 and 1 go next to each other. And we were walking right down the middle of them. And there was a lot of dirt, a lot of mud. And you also saw the rough, which wasn't high, but it's thick and wet wet which is where i think that's going to become into a major factor is when you consider how wet it is and you got to stay in the short stuff i saw uh was it brant snedeker um um billy horschel name dropping yeah no no great though but it's really cool yeah no i watched there i was watching their group right and i was watching them on the and and it was part five um uh brant was over into the rough and you know, he chopped out of it. Like, he took, he didn't even debate about it. He was like, I got to chop out of this. Right. So he comes out, and then his caddy and another caddy come over, and they drop, like, three balls into it, seeing, I guess, like, how many times it would hit the bottom of that nasty rough. So they both do it, and then they look at each other, they go over, and they talk to the guys, and they're like, no. They just shook their head like it's not going to happen. I, and I took that to mean, like, if you find yourself in that, just, hack just it take out. it. Just take yep, it. And don't even moving, try right? to go up for yeah. the green. Ricky Fowler's another guy. Still has that. It's a, a title that you don't want. It's the best golfer without a major title to his name. I don't know. I mean, you, at some point you wonder if it's a mental hurdle, if it's just something that has to break. He did win the Sawgrass, which is considered the fifth major, you know, at TPC. But you wonder if this could be a week where he could break out. Again, it's kind of like DJ who only has one major. You feel like it's going to happen. But at some point when you do start getting up there, you wonder if it becomes mental and you start pressing in the majors thinking, I have to win one sooner rather than later. Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you don't, and, and I guess we're reluctant to do this because Ricky's, you know, Ricky's an interesting follow. Like, he, you know, everybody loves Ricky. But it could be that he's just not in the class of some of those other guys, right? Like, there are levels to it, and I'm not saying that unequivocally, but if he never is able to really get over that hump, and that separates himself, and he's in another category of golfer. It was a great story. You know, obviously, you know, flat brims and the Pumas, and right. then, you know, he wore the, the, the jogger golf, you know, set trends, but maybe not the elite of the elite. Right. Really good, maybe just not on that level. So, Ricky, similar to Tiger Woods, started off two over with a double bogey. Then he dropped a 30-foot birdie putt to get Ooh. it to one uh, uh, one over, but then he bogeyed the hole after that. So, he's at two over again i think you just say it all the time especially at majors but it happens with every golf tournament you can't win the tournament on thursday but you can lose it so you just want to find yourself somewhere in the vicinity of the leaderboard don't have too many big numbers and that's something we'll be watching out through uh, for the entire day uh patrick reed teed off at 751 ricky fowler at 802 justin rose at 802 yeah. so they're out in the course right now we'll get you all their scores kind of updated throughout our show and throughout the day on cbs sports hq The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell, hanging out live at the PGA Championship at Beth Sage, uh, Beth Page State Park. Matthew Wallace at three under, uh, top of the leaderboard right now as it sits. Uh, I think we talked about that a little bit yesterday with that, you know, I don't think Tiger's gonna be in the lead. I don't think, you know, Brooks Kepka's probably, there's probably gonna be somebody that's really not popular. Yeah. That's just gonna be out there with not many people watching him, flying under the radar, put up a big number, and you'll be like, alright, that's cool, but then, It'll come back to reality once the rest of the tournament sets in. Yeah, totally. I, that's another takeaway I had from yesterday, Danny's out here. It was Wednesday afternoon, even Wednesday morning before most people could have been off of work on a half day or something. It was pretty packed. People were starting to get it in. And then as I walked around, like New York fans are really, really good. Yep. They were giving Brooks Kepka a little bit. Tiger's coming for you, Brook. Like it was getting really? a little rowdy out there. So as it pertains to a name like, like a Matt Wallace, like it, yes, when you're out there playing just your, your general round with nobody watching, just do your thing, right? Right. But as those crowds start to gather and there becomes a little bit more of a spotlight on what you're doing, not everybody can perform under those conditions. So you and I were walking through the parking lot again and we were just talking about Tommy Fleetwood who had a couple birdies in a row. What was your first impression when you saw Tommy Fleetwood? It's little. Right. It's, it is <laughs> funny. Little. Most of them, I was just yeah. because we both looked at each other and were like, that's Tommy Fleetwood. Right. TV makes you look bigger. <laughs> and when you're surrounded by a lot of people who are the same size as you, like, it's it's misleading. Yeah. Uh, John Rahm was uh, bigger than I thought he was. So Fleetwood is now at two under. Uh, he had another birdie. So he's uh, starting to go low. I actually took a bet with him. I took Tiger Woods to win a major this year. Yep. I took John Rahm to win a major this year. And I took Tommy Fleetwood to win a major this year. So if he wins, I'm in good shape, yeah, too. Right. Uh, he's at two under right now. One shot off the lead for Tommy Fleetwood. All right, let's move on to some basketball because you and I were watching a game last night when you had the Bucks and Raptors. Before You said yesterday, you said, take Milwaukee. They're going to cover easy. And I think it was six and a half. They were laying six and a half. You're like, take the Bucks. They're going to roll. Then I was, I just didn't love it before the game. And I was like, let me see how it plays out. Then, of course, the Raptors are leading most of the first half. And at halftime, I'm sitting there furiously. For some reason, my cell phone is horrendous up in this whole right. Long Island area. I'm furiously trying to get Milwaukee, who was getting or getting a point for the second half. And I'm trying to get it in. I couldn't get it. And it ended up costing me money because they actually came back. You had Toronto, who had such a prime opportunity to take that game from Milwaukee. They lose it. They come up really short in the second half and Milwaukee takes control and wins by eight and covers the original spread too but is this how much of a missed opportunity was this for Toronto because man it felt like they should have won that game this was this was huge um it's almost like the the saying you had about golf like you might not be able to win the series but you almost feel like that that lost them the series because if they could have got that game it it just flips the series on its head and I I don't want to overreact to it but you just had a a prime opportunity to steal a game um and get home court advantage you get kyle lowry you know chipping what do you have 31 of them or do you have 30 um yeah 30 playing, playing out of his mind 15 I mean, he's out seven of, his, of nine from three absolutely bananas you, you you couple that with milwaukee pretty pedestrian numbers for Giannis, only making 11 of 44 threes you led the entire game i don't even know how I don't even know how Milwaukee was in the game. I kept saying to you, like, <laughs> they're in the game. How are they in the game right now? And if you're Toronto, you just really have to feel like you let one slip away. Uh, only three Raptors scored in the second half. You had Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, and uh, Siakam had the points for the Raptors. No help from anybody else on there. We, uh, Raptors, not named Kyle Lowry, shot 0 for 15 in the fourth quarter. It was just they were they imploded. He's the only the Raptor with a field goal, and that's what they looked like against the Sixers. Except it was it was Kawhi in in the Sixers game seven. They just looked like that offense uh, doesn't have flow. 
when it when it when push comes to shove and the, and the going gets tough, it looks like it breaks down and they rely on just individual performances. Which don't get me wrong, a lot of teams do that, but they don't have enough guys that can do it. And so last night again, you know, you, you saw them just kind of fall short with not enough people being involved. And and again, Milwaukee didn't play well. They just figured out a way to win. They got a a, a brilliant performance by by Brook Lopez. I mean, he outscored. His, his, his total for the whole Boston series um, in, in one game last night. Giannis didn't play well. Malcolm Brogdon was decent. He outscored the whole Toronto bench by himself. Um, but you didn't have a bunch of guys play great, and you still let the game slip away. You just really have to feel like you missed a, a really golden opportunity to, to get a win there. You were right on the bet saying Milwaukee's going to cover, but it played out completely differently of the way that I thought or anybody else thought it would. Because yeah. I thought Toronto would have – you know, heavy legs, they'd be tired. Milwaukee would be clean, crisp, like coming in there. And it was the opposite. Like, Milwaukee looked sloppy. Toronto comes out there. Kyle Lowry is on fire. And they looked fresher. They looked like they had more energy. It was really sloppy. Just the flow of the game was kind of ugly, and the yep. rest were letting them play as they were going back and forth there. Kyle Lowry, uh, quoted after the game, said, the fourth quarter killed us, 32-17. to 17. They outplayed us in that fourth quarter. They got a little bit more aggressive. They made some big shots, made some big plays. It sucks when you lose like that, but we had our chance, and we've got to learn from it. Giannis, meanwhile, said, I think this game definitely made us better. Are you absolutely like you stole one of this one, the one you were supposed to win? Granted, you're at home, you should win, you should win the first two, but you got to be breathing a big sigh of relief, being like, Man, we played that bad and we still won. Like, this is great. Yeah, absolutely. Look, their games, what, what is Milwaukee? Milwaukee was eight and one coming into this game, were they? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, only one loss in that first really round been of Boston. Super tested. They haven't, even that Boston game was a blowout. They haven't been in a one possession game really in the playoffs so far. They don't have any playoff success really prior to this. It's since 2001. And so if you're, if you're Milwaukee fans or Milwaukee brass, you have to, for two reasons you love last night. You got the win, right? That was important. But that was one of those games where it tested your team. That was a playoff type of environment. It was playoff circumstances late, one possession games, you know, back and forth. And, and your young team stepped up to the task and they beat a more proven probably playoff team in Toronto. And so you got to feel good about that going forward. They need games like that. Now you don't want to have every game like that because you want to make sure you win them, but they need those type of tests where they have to uh, show the type of championship character that will be required for them if they have a chance to actually win the championship. Giannis is a beast. Uh, the Bucks completely own the glass. They out-rebounded the Raptors 60-46 to with 15 offensive boards. Yep. Uh, they outscored the Raptors in the paint 44-26. to And it's when you look at the Raptors roster, what's the answer? What's the counter? There's no counter. Right. They, they, they are, it's been the issue in the playoffs this year is you're going to get what you get from Kawhi. You're going to get pretty much what you get from Pascal Siakam. Kyle Lowry's a wild card. He was great last night. That's why it hurt so bad that you lost that game. But outside of that, you've gotten very little for Danny Green. You've gotten, you know, marginal production from Marcus Sol. Um, you know, they, they just don't have anywhere to go. Those bench players that were, they were good during the regular season. There was one point where I said they had one of the better benches in the NBA. That's why I thought they would be good this year is because they were deep. Those guys haven't showed up to play in the playoffs. Fred Van Vliet hasn't done his thing. Serge Ibaka has been up and down. Um, Milwaukee has the much better bench, and that, that that played itself out last night with Malcolm Brogdon coming back in his second game back, 15 points, outscoring Toronto's bench by himself. Gasol and Green combined to go 3 of 16, so a rough night for can't them happen. as well. Can't happen uh, for them. All right, yeah, we talked a little bit about the uh, the first pick in the draft going to the New Orleans Pelicans. You know what I keep forgetting, and it's just like a it's just the way that we've discussed everything. 
is that it wasn't the actual draft. It was just the selection process right. because I've always – like the discussion has been, well, what's Zion going to do if he goes to New Orleans and what's the trade going to happen? We don't know 100%. We assume that David Griffin is going to select Zion Williamson at number one. But the fact that Zion hasn't been drafted yet, hasn't entered the draft technically yet, hasn't hired an agent, hasn't signed a shoe endorsement deal means technically he could – go back to Duke. That boy's got options. I am hoping he does. I would love to see it. Now, granted, you're talking about having to wait yet another year for hundreds of millions of dollars, or whatever the number is. It's going to be a lot of money. Right. There is some risk involved, but I would say have Duke pay for the biggest you know, uh, insurance policy in the history of college sports right. and go back and do it and see if you can find your way to the Knicks or somewhere better than Pelican. I know it's probably hard for you to say this because yeah, it's your boy there. Yeah, it's my man Griff, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard, but I'm looking at from Zion's standpoint, and I, I would love to see him, and it's not, I guess it is some leverage because he does have to make a massive sacrifice sure. by passing up on that opportunity, but we've seen big names like John Elway, yeah, it's you not unprecedented, Manning. right? Guys have done things before to try to control their own destiny When because with the draft process in all major sports, it does feel like you have no leverage. At times, if you have just a little bit, I would use it. I would be interested to see what that does to Zion's brand if he were to do that because he's a beloved figure right now. I mean, there's I, you can't find anyone who hates on Zion. I, I have my reservations about what top-end Zion looks like at the NBA, but as a person and as a human being – I cheer for him also. Do you know what I mean? So I don't, I don't know that you'd find too many people that hate on him. If he were to choose to go back to Duke and kind of leverage that situation and the power that he has right now, what do you think that does to his, to his brand? Right. No, I'm asking. Like, what do you, like, does he take a hit or is he? I think it boosts his brand. Really? I think, I think Duke. Oh, ultimately if he winds up in New York, but I mean, just the general public will support that. Absolutely. Now there'll be a lot of critics who'll say he's crazy, but think about it. What play, I think people are jealous of NBA players and they say, look at all this money and the guys don't care. I think it would make him look like a rock star if he was like, the money's not that important. I want to go back to Duke. I want you don't to think that makes he him look said, entitled and, and, no, and, and bratty no, no, to, to say, I don't want to go? one of the best options of all of them. Steve Francis, by the way, in 99, was uh, selected number one by the uh, uh, Vancouver Grizzlies yeah. and opted to take a similar way out. Uh, I... I think it would do wonders for him. I, I, he's already, like, if you have Q rating, he's off the charts. Right. I don't think it would drop at all. And it's not like he's saying, I'm going to go to Italy. I'm just going to sit out and work out. He'd be going back for college basketball. Like, and it'd be, and I, granted, it's Duke. But look how many people. The biggest accomplishment of Zion Williamson's career at Duke was that he got people to root for Duke and like Duke. Right. Like, he's he kind of transcends all of that. I don't know if he does it in the long run because you're sacrificing another year totally. of your earning power. But I think it's on the table. I think all chips are on the table. And maybe that's part of your leverage if you say, hey, if, you, if you're going to lose the number one pick, yeah. if you take me, you're not going to get me. So we need to figure this out now. Yeah. So it's not like there's a guarantee, though. What's going to happen, though, is the Knicks are going to try to tank for him again. They're going to have only that 14% chance True. again. And you could wind up being in, I don't know, uh, give me a Sacramento or, or some other market that's not right. a, a major market. market. Right. And so – you know, look, I, I am always for players being able to use whatever leverage they have. Um, 
to, to get an advantage, right? But I, I don't think that there's much of a chance that Zion goes back to Duke. I don't think Zion is built like that from everything I've heard about his family. Um, I, I don't think they're built like that. I think he's going to go to New Orleans, kind of like Anthony Davis did. I know Anthony Davis wants to leave now, uh, but I think he's going to go there and, and, and do his job and try to resurrect the franchise. So Zion Williamson's stepfather, Lee Anderson, told Off the Bench Radio Show. Why are they stealing our name? I think they actually had it first. Uh, Radio Show in Baton Rouge that Zion is, quote, excited about the prospect of getting down there and getting settled in New Orleans and adding that returning to Duke, quote, is not something that we have even considered. Uh, That being said, he has until June 10th uh, to decide if he wants to go back to Duke or not. Ultimately, I th- I wish he would because I'd love to see it. I'd, I'd love to see a guy actually choose and people lose their mind. Like, he's going to go back to college because it actually is fun. Like I think he did have a really good experience in his sure. first year at Duke. He just didn't have the bank account that he would have if he doesn't. Um, the Pelicans have reportedly sold over 3,000 season tickets already. So, hey, they'll have some new fans there for sure. The NBA Combine is currently underway uh, there right now. It appears that Zion, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, and Darius Garland didn't even get measured at the NBA Combine. Why I guess, would you? But a measurement? Why? Like, that's not that big of a deal. But, I mean, why wouldn't you just go up? I get, Because it, I, I get requi- it requires me standing in a line, taking my shirt off. And if <laughs> oh, I'm them, on. I don't have to do anything. I am one, two, three, <laughs> and probably four in the draft. I'm good. An inch isn't going to matter that no. much because they all embellish it's on their, their roster things. Doesn't no. matter at all. I agree. I, I agree with not working out. Like you don't have to show them anything. I just don't know why you wouldn't just get up. I don't there even know say, why hey, they're there. That was whatever. that was my question. Is why are they why are they even in the building? I mean, I guess you're in Chicago for the lottery itself. Yeah. But why you would be attending the combine in any capacity is I don't know. That's yeah, kind of the thing to do. Yeah. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe they get to meet, talk to some teams, try to figure yeah, out probably, what's going yeah, on. Yeah, Team yeah. interviews. They yeah. get to sit you down. Similar to the NFL they combine. They don't matter either. For Zion, <laughs> they really like don't matter. That is true. Hey, you never know. Making relationships, practicing, I guess. Who knows what's going on there. Uh, Taco Fall, talking about two people who were measured, uh, was buzzing on social media because his official measurements are insane. Seven feet, five inches and a quarter without shoes. Yeah. Seven, seven with shoes. 289 pounds. He's got an eight and two quarter wingspan. A ten and two and a half standing reach. Oh. Only six and a half uh, percent body fat. He actually would like to probably increase that at some point. Uh, broke every figure in the database for height, wingspan and reach dating all the way back to the 80s. Would you take a shot at him? Yeah, I would. I mean, like where? The Second round? Um, probably, I don't know the draft when you get that deep into it. Um, late first, early second, I think I would take a swing depending on what type of team I was. That size is like rare. Right, you um, can't teach that. And I, I want, <laughs> right, and I want to say I watched, I watched him and I think he's more fluid than Boban Marjanovic. And while Boban can't play in some series, like Philly had to sit him, I mean, there was a place for him in the NBA. He was, one of the leaders in field goal percentage, you know, throughout the regular season, he helps bolster your defense, gets you some easy buckets. So there's a place for Taco. I would take a swing at him. I only watched one game. Yeah. He shot 36% from the free throw line, but all big struggle with that. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the sizes and hand size, it's like shooting a golf ball through a rim. Like, yes, good luck right. trying to do that. It's right. almost impossible. I only watched one game of his, like, other than highlights that were on. And it was the NCAA tournament when they played Duke. I thought he made an impact in the game. He came with, with, they should have won the game. Yeah, absolutely, they should have won the yeah. game. And I thought his presence with that wingspan, just putting his arms up alone, is going to impact people through the lane. And I know the league is going with you know the perimeter and the threes, but if you can develop him just a little bit, 
you can make him into a player. I think, and it put up some, put, wait till he put some weight on. Like, and maybe he's, maybe he's one of those guys where it's hard to put on weight, but get him a little bit more muscle and a little bit more thickness and he can have a major impact. Yeah, you're looking for weapons, right? Yeah. When you're an NBA team, whether that's like a, a, a three point shooter or, you know, somebody with super athleticism, that length and size is, is, could, if you can weaponize it, if you can sharpen it up, could, could be a weapon. And so when you're talking about, you know, I don't know, late first, if you got nothing to lose there or, or second round where you certainly don't have anything to lose, like you're, you're going to take a swing at a weapon like that, potentially. Yeah. I'll be rooting for him because it's an incredible story when you think about him coming over from Africa, said goodbye to his mother for like seven years That's and incredible. didn't see her. She came back and saw him for the first time. Incredible sacrifices. So hopefully it all pays off for him. He seems like a really good kid. So, uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that as Taco Fall, uh, takes it to the draft and hopefully gets a chance. Hey, golf fans. PGA Championship Week is here, and CBS Sports is bringing you coverage of the second major championship of the year that you can't find anywhere else. Canell and Bell will be on site this week at Beth Page Black, and we'll be filling you in on all the biggest stories in the lead-up to tee-off and around the world of sports. On Saturday and Sunday, you can watch the tournament live stream in the CBS Sports mobile app and on CBSSports.com, totally for free. You also got to check out CBS Sports HQ the free streaming sports network that's on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, delivering you news, highlights, and in-depth analysis. Danny and I will be there with our golf expert, Kyle Porter, to bring you updates on the leaderboard, the pairings to watch, special guests, and, of course, what's going on with Tiger Woods. So tune in to watch us on HQ every morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. It's all available for free with CBS Sports. You don't have to pay for a subscription or have a cable package. It's just free, for real. Download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Roku, Amazon, Fire TV, or Apple TV to start watching today. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell, live from the PGA Championship, hanging out with Rajah Bell here on Canel and Bell. Uh, the Jets. You know, these New York, both the Giants and the Jets. I mean, the Gi- Giants were the story of the NFL draft by taking Daniel Jones at sixth overall, but the Jets have managed to surpass the ineptitude of even their own history by surprisingly, out of nowhere, firing their GM, Mike McCagnan, just a few weeks after the NFL draft, when you let him make all those selections, uh, after this offseason, you let him spend $191 million on what appeared on paper. I thought the Jets were making some good moves. Like right. I felt pretty good about the Jets. Uh, they brought in Le'Veon Bell. They brought in C.J. Mosley, great linebacker from the Ravens. Jameson Crowder, a receiver to help Sam Darnold. And they bring in Henry Anderson. It looked like they were a step in the right direction. They had Darnold last year, who showed a lot of promises. A rookie, they got Quentin Williams uh, in the draft this year. I thought he was the best player in college football, uh, even above the quarterbacks, the most dominant player. It's been great. And then out of nowhere, they decide to give him the axe and name Adam Gase, the interim GM, who was a disaster with the Dolphins. His opening press conference was a disaster when you consider how weird it was. Yeah, with the bug eyes. It just makes no sense. They're quickly becoming the laughing stock of the NFL. It's a joke. Um, yeah, it is a joke. And typically, like when I hear something like that, because to your point, yeah, the Jets had been seemingly moving in the right direction. Uh, the draft seemed pretty fruitful. And you out of the blue like this, there's got to be something else going on. I don't know what it is. That's what I don't I have thought. any insight, but there's there's has to be something else. People don't do that. Right. You don't let this guy go out and spend all that money, go through your draft prep, and trust him with, like, you know, all these, these sacred draft picks and then fire him today. Something else is going down. So the rumor is, and I don't know what you're like. Initially, I was like, is there something, like, you know, in, in trouble with the law or something? Like, but 
the rumors are that he and Adam Gase did not get along, didn't see eye to eye, which you would think, wouldn't you have, he hired him, they just brought him in. Right. Like, if you were going to hire a new coach and he wasn't on the same page, why wouldn't you do a a deal together the way the 49ers did? They hired John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan at the same time, gave him matching six-year deals, because you, that's the most important relationship on the team, like, in the front office. Forgive my ignorance. It doesn't work different than basketball because in basketball the GM hires the coach. Right, exactly. So like it does. Like I'm not hiring you if we're not on the same page. Right. You understand what I'm saying? And yes, exactly. And who knows? This is where Christopher Johnson, who's uh, the owner of the the New York Jets, has talked about this, and I think he's the one that deserves the most to blame for this dysfunction. He was quoted as saying, "The more I looked, the more I realized that we needed to move on." It was only through diving deep into the organization, it was only through going through this particular offseason deeply, that I understood how this organization was lacking in certain ways. I think this is going to be a really attractive job. I don't think we're going to find any trouble finding a good GM here. I think this is an excellent spot. Yeah, somebody's going to take the job because those are jobs aren't, aren't, aren't easy to come by. And somebody's going to line up for it. But, like, you're already hearing and know if, like, I think Daniel Jeremiah is a fantastic cop with NFL Network. I'm friends with him. I think he's great. Maybe he's a good GM. But they're taking a page out of the Raiders playbook who hired Mike Mayock out of the TV booth. Like, that's what you're lining up for? And it's, it's again, it's no offense to Daniel Jeremiah, but just they don't have a plan. Right. Yeah. I, I, look, I last year you got Sam Darnold, right? What Regarded as maybe the best quarterback in the draft by a lot of people. Baker kind of surprised some people. The kid Quentin Williams this year. I mean, was he, he was, I mean, when you, when you lay out all of the offseason moves that they made in free agency and you couple that with arguably two steals in the draft over the last couple of years, when you come out as, as the owner and say that I've just become aware that we are, you know, we're not doing what we should be doing, I, again, it does, two and two doesn't make four for me. And I don't really have a good explanation other than I would bet that somewhere in the next couple of weeks you're going to hear some other information that would support why he got fired so abruptly. Otherwise, you're talking about pure dysfunction on a level that even surpasses what the Knicks are dealing with, and the Knicks have been dysfunctional for a while. Yes. Do you know the what I mean? The state like, of New York franchises is not in a healthy spot right now, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. You've been, you've worked in a front office in Cleveland. The the coach GM relationship. How important do you think that is to the success of a franchise? Oh, it's it's very important. I mean, those are those are. They have to work hand in hand, you know, like we, we are getting pieces and accruing talent and finding the things that would fit, you know, your vision as a coach. We, we have to have similar visions. We have to be on the same page. And again, you know, like I was saying, the general manager plays a huge role in hiring an NBA coach. And so, you know, you're going to you're going to do your due diligence and vet those guys and make sure that those guys aren't aligned or they're aligned with what, what you're thinking. And so for me to hear that those guys don't really like each other and they're sideways again, Leads me to either A, there's something else going on, or B, this is just pure dysfunction at its highest level. And on the Adam Gase situation, if you think that Adam Gase, with his track record of running people out of there in Miami as the coach, right, is fit to be your general manager, he is half cocked at best when it comes to getting people out of there that don't fit his culture. He's keeping them moving. Even the most talented of guys, he cannot, he should never be entrusted with running your franchise and coaching your team. And I think, I don't even know why. I mean, it's just a piece of the dysfunction. I don't know why you named him interim general manager. You should have said, we're going to fire, you know, we're firing our guy. Yeah. We're going to hire somebody right. new because it looks even sloppier and it looks even more like you were caught off guard and like even more unprofessional and out of whack, uh, from the way things go. The rumors are that they disagreed with the Le'Veon Bell and CJ Mosley signings. I get because it is spending that much money on a running back. It is, I don't like it. 
Uh, and apparently Adam Gase didn't either. C.J. Mosley getting up there in age. The Ravens, you know, decided to pass on him. He, he's, uh, you know, your traditional middle linebacker. I think he's a great player. I thought it was a good addition. But, you know, maybe you're thinking, hey, he fits more of an older school NFL-style defense. I don't, I don't know. But you would figure at some point you've got to be able to work past your differences. And you know what puts in a really uncomfortable spot is Le'Veon Bell. Because Le'Veon took to Twitter and was responding to it. Because how about if you're him? Yeah. And you're hearing that the general manager got fired because he signed you? Yeah, terrible. Really tough spot. So he said, Bell uh, went to Twitter, said there's been a bunch of false reports and speculation about me in the past about things I've said and done. So I'm used to this. I don't jump to conclusions when I hear or see a story that may affect me. Even if reports are true, that won't stop me from doing what I came here to do. Everyone has a job to do, and I'm going to do mine. Whether people like me or not, I'm here to win football games. But you talk about an awkward meeting when he goes in and Adam Gase is there sitting like, hey, ready to go to work? Like, man, you, you just got somebody fired because you didn't like me being here? Oh, and it's Adam probably Gase. Can I say no, that? No, I don't know. I'm job. not a fan like, either. I, I just... It, Anyway, keep going. I, I mean, just, he sent away I, Jarvis Landry. He sent him packing, and we saw the impact he had for Cleveland yeah, last year. He's one of the Jai, best. Yeah, he there's a keep, bunch of guys. Yeah, it just keeps them moving, and it's it's almost like a – you can't have your personal feelings tied to a job like that when you're running a franchise or you're coaching a franchise. You, you have to be able to sift through that for what's best for the team, and I feel like he has a hard time doing that. You know, I feel like he lets his emotions and his personal feelings about a guy get involved, and it discounts everything that they 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 do on the field. And those should, you know, th- there is a relationship between the two, Danny. But you know, like I know, if they're that valuable on the field and they can do their job at a high level, you got to let your personal feelings be pushed to the side a little bit. He, I think he's got zero ability to do that. So Adam Gaze already, as the interim GM, made a trade last night, I, trading away Darren Lee to the Chiefs bro, for a six-round pick. Like he's, he was best. just imagine like he was waiting to make that first move. He's like, I can't wait to get rid of this dude. I'm going to make the trade and this get somebody guy. in here for him. No, it is going to be an interesting year, to say the least, uh, for the Jets. And this happens. I wouldn't be surprised. The Jets over the last four seasons, 10 and 6, 5 and 11, 5 and 11, 4 and 12 last year. I mean, you got to, if you're Adam Gase and you have this raw, I mean, is this his excuse now saying, I didn't want Le'Veon anyway? Where, like, is he buying himself time or by him pulling this power play and you know, having an impact on the firing their GM. I think if he doesn't have, if he has a four win season, kick him to the curb. Kick him out. But you, know? but you would think if, a, if an owner aligns himself with you over the general manager in a matter of what, four months? That's how long is he, how's he, how long has he been with the Jets? Yeah, not even. <laughs> yeah, three or four months. He would probably support you even if you go four and ten, right? right? If he believes in you to that degree, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you're going to get away with this year as a bad head coach probably and still survive this year, whether it's warranted or not. Like, that's, that's the situation you probably find yourself in. I'm telling you, Sam Darnold picked third overall. Uh, I didn't, I like Baker Mayfield better. Uh, I'm not as high on him as everybody else is, but man, it's going to be a tough spot for him to win. And with most quarterbacks, you're only going to be as good as the situation that you are in. Yeah. Look at Jared Goff. It was a mess his rookie year. Then they bring in McVeigh, gives him a good offense to work to his strengths. They have success. I feel bad. I think this is going to hinder Sam Darnold's progress, which is the most important position on the team. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to take it back and parallel it to the NBA. If you had told me Zion was going to New Orleans, 
two years ago in what was just pure dysfunction, I would say no. Like, use that Duke option as a, as a real viable option and try to negotiate and, and leverage your way into something else. But Griff, again, this is personal, but I worked with Griff. He's going to lend stability there. There's going to be culture there. They're going to be headed in the right direction. In those circumstances, a young player can thrive, and he can reach his potential, right? And that's what you're talking about with Sam Darnold. Like, dysfunction for young players is the worst thing you can put him in over and over again because it completely stunts their ability to grow. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to watch how uh, Sam Darnold and the rest of the Jets organizations deals with this, what they do with the interim tag. Do they bring in somebody like Daniel Jeremiah to run the franchise? I don't know. If, if I'm somebody, I don't know if I want to work with Adam case but maybe it's a tight-knit community maybe he's got somebody that he has pegged that he wants to be the gm and uh, that's probably the way that chris johnson will go uh when they make that move all right welcome back to canel and bell live from the pga championship at beth page black uh tiger woods bad news for tiger fans doubled 17 so he's got two double bogeys uh, on the front nine now you're like just hold on for dear life tiger just keep it under control Maybe get, you know, I told you, if he finishes one or two over on the day, that's going to be a really positive score. I mean, this course is brutal. I think it's going to be interesting to see what other scores are out there, but it's just the big numbers are going to destroy your round. And again, you can't win it today, but you could lose it. And that's all I hope for Tigers. He stays somewhere in the vicinity and doesn't have, shoot up, uh, put up a big number. Yeah, we're going to go out there and help him out. Yeah, we're gonna, <laughs> that's we're right. We are. Down as it. soon as the show is over, yeah. we are going to run out there, yeah. probably be on about 18. We're going to run out there, give him a little moral support yep. uh, from there. There was some speculation yesterday because Tiger was supposed to play Again, when I say speculation, I'm talking about people at the bar last night. Right. So, like, that's not, not official rumors or any, not right. official reports coming out. But Tiger was supposed to play nine holes yesterday. Chose not to. Didn't yeah. come out to the course. Did not do his practice round. Some around the bar, after a few drinks, were saying, I wonder if he has any injuries, if he's healthy, if he was doing something with his body, you know, right. what was going on there. Because typically he would get in a quick nine, a little quick, you know, kind of, you know, practice sure. round. And then bounce. But he didn't. Hopefully that's not the case. I don't want to see that happen. But... Again, we talked a lot about the weather, the impact that could have on his body. You know, you don't know if he's 100%. And the way it's starting off this morning, it's like, I wonder what is going on. I think that if he were injured at this point, having bagged another major, he probably would have just shut it down. Like, I don't, I don't know that he wants to come out and play injured. I think more than anything, this is the product of five weeks off. You know, like, yeah, he'll probably get it going and be fine, but... There was an inevitability of some rust, and so I think you're probably just seeing that. Ten is a brutal hole to start on. It's right. It's a lot of people are struggling with ten. Ricky uh, Fowler had a double. A bunch of people yeah. are struggling with ten. So if you subtract that, like 17 is a tough par three. Um, people were kind of lacing it in there yesterday, but like you got to forgive ten. And then if you're just talking about one one hole at 17, I mean, it's not the worst start for a guy who played um, competitively in five weeks. So, true story, Raja and I were riding back from the course last night and riding around Long Island. We're on, like, this road probably a few miles from the course, maybe a couple miles from the course, and I see this dude walking on the side of the road just by himself, just walking, and I'm looking at him like, wait a second, I see this bald head. I'm like, that's Tiger Scatty. I banged you and went and said hi to him. We're like, what's going on? We're trying to get the intel. He's like, no, he just took took the day off, decided not to come out here. But it was pretty funny seeing, you know, Joe LaCava just walking around out in the street. Uh, uh, Who just birdied there? Sorry. Uh, Somebody just birdied. Kepka. Kepka just had another birdie. Three under. My man, so my man had an interesting comment, and this is where I think He's got and Tommy Fleetwood, uh, both birdied there, so they're both uh, at three under. Uh, coming into the tournament, they asked Brooks Kepka, who has three majors right now. They said, "How many do you think you can get?" And he said, "I think I can get to double digits." And everybody was like, 
Whoa. <laughs> what? Like, what? really? Like, that hasn't been done a whole right, lot. Right. Like, you think you're getting there. And he gave this mindset, which gave you a glimpse into the way he thinks, which I think is it's borderline cocky, but I love it. Because mm-hmm. he said if there's 156 players in the field, half of them, they can't compete with me. Like, just flat, flat out. <laughs> Straight up. He said the other half, he said they're probably, you know, they might have a bad week. So then he cut it down to 40. And he's like, the then the 20, he's like, they're going to collapse on Sunday. He's like, so that leaves about 20 guys I have to beat. Wow. <laughs> I mean, the wow. way he said it. You've never, you've not lumped yourself into the guys ever having a bad week. Right, right. He just said he's You're different. just a suit, yeah. But I'm to different. the start out here and him coming out blazing hot, getting to 300 at the top of that leaderboard, the one thing the Tiger had during his run when he was so dominant was. Mystique. A mystique. Yeah. An intimidation yeah. factor, and guys were like, uh-oh, we have to step it up. And Brooks is kind of, he's letting it all hang out. Yeah, like, man. He's coming out there, and he's kind of getting in people's heads, which I love. Florida yeah. State guy, man. He's taking a page from Deion Sanders' book for talking I, all that trash. He's playing with Tiger right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Francisco Molinari. I need to get out there and check that out. Because, I again, I'm telling you, I heard multiple times fans around here, like, chiding Brooks. Brooks Kepka, like Tiger's going to be hunting you, like they were roaring at him and stuff like that. So no, you're describing like a mentality that would have probably been chomping at the bit to get out here, especially to get Tiger I think in so the too. same group. And, right? I wonder if those fans, because they will heckle, and there's a lot of time. I mean, everybody's going to be rooting for Tiger. Yeah. I wonder if if Brooks becomes the villain and they almost start booing. It'll it'll be what he says after the round will tell you a lot. Right. Like if he said something like, "Man, Tiger can't hang with me." If he said something like that, then he's going to get heckled. Yeah. But I think he'll play it smarter than that. There's a difference between being cocky and being stupid. I don't think he'll do that. So yes. After our show, we turned around, and right there was this white, flowing, blonde hair, John Daly, sitting right there in his crazy yeah. check, you know, crazy knee brace, yeah, knee brace on there, smoking dark pants. Yeah, exactly, just <laughs> hanging out there, and he was on his golf cart yeah. because he was given an exemption by the PGA to let him ride because of his arthritic condition in his knees. A lot of players, most of them off the record. It's interesting because I think they all like John Daly. They've all been yeah. fans of his. They respect him. But most of them had said, you know, it's kind of not fair that he's able to ride. There's no kind of about that. Right. <laughs> right. It's not fair. Right. Because look at all the issues Tiger had where maybe if he would have been allowed to ride when he was, you know, having surgeries on his back and his neck, if he could have come out here and not had to walk like everybody else, right. maybe he would have been okay. You're talking about a course in Florida, like the old Doral or, or you know, um, what's the course in Ponte Vedra? What course yeah, is that? Sawgrass. Sawgrass like yeah. Relatively flat, like, you know, some undulation. You're talking about a course like this where, I, I admittedly, my feet were aching yesterday after just walking five or six, seven holes. You give a guy a golf cart and let him scoot around this bad boy, that's a huge advantage. It is. Now, also, most of the players were like, well, he's not even going to make the cut anyway, even if he's riding, so it's not a big deal. But it does take a spot from somebody who could have played. And it's different. Like, Tony Romo got to play in a a PGA Tour event last week. I think that's different. It's a regular tour event. You need uh, spectators. You need television ratings. So you add somebody like that there. With Daly, this is a major championship. You don't need more spectators. You don't need more ratings. So let him do it on a regular event, not a major. That's why I don't like it. And I worry about precedent that you said. I mean, because if this is purely over an arthritic knee, I mean, there are a lot of athletes, even in their prime, they might be dealing with some sort of arthritic condition, right? Like, towards the end of my basketball career, like, there was arthritis and fingers. Like, you, you doctor would tell you that, you yeah. know what I mean? Or pre-arthritic conditions. And so, if you're going to let him play just based on that, I just think you open up, you know, a petition from a lot of other people who could be in contention in some of these events to ask you for a golf cart. And you've set precedent by yep. letting someone else do it. Slippery right. slope. After we go see John Wick 3, what? we're going to come back and watch the uh, Rockets Blazers, uh, excuse me, Warriors 
Blazers. Yes. Warriors are laying seven and a half quickly. Who's going to win and who's going to cover? Blazers. Blazers. No, you saying the they Warriors. cover? No, 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 no. I don't like the Blazers cover. Yeah, I, oh, they cover the seven, not to win, though. Cover the seven, not to all win. All right. Yeah. I like that, too. Yeah. All right. We'll be back tomorrow to break all that down. We are going to go see John Wick 3 tonight. Open It opens tomorrow. You fantastic. already bought tickets online, so we're going to break down the entire NBA playoffs. And we might even give you a little recap of John Wick 3. Spoiler with alert. Going out. Yeah, so spoiler alert warning coming up. All right. We're running out right now to go watch Tiger Woods on the 18th green. See you.